This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Tom Gaines. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, uh, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, uh, we've we've come on to talk about your 2015-16 film, uh, A Couple in a Hole, which uh, recently dropped on Amazon Prime, which is how I got to see it. Um, and we got talking on Twitter, and now here we are talking in at least in in the virtual real life of a Zoom call for a podcast interview, so that's exciting. The way the internet can uh, can shrink the world so easily, and then as we're talking, we realise we live about two miles physically from each other as well, which is uh, <laughs> always always a fun one. Um, but um, before we go into any detail about coupling the whole, do you want to give um, the audience a brief synopsis to what the film is about? I mean, I, yeah, it's always tricky giving a synopsis of the film because you don't want to give away a lot. It's sort of kind of such a sparse story that basically it's sort of, you very quickly give stuff away. So, but it's basically a story about, as the title states, it's about a middle-class sort of couple who seem to be stuck in a hole in the middle of nowhere in a big sort of forest. And they kind of have their sort of middle-class clothes on but they're all kind of very disheveled and dirty and blah 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 by so they've clearly been living in that hole for a while and so the story is it's it's a sort of as i said it's a very sparsely the, the information is sort of given very sparsely throughout the story as to what's happened and you sort of we find out how they got there and how eventually they get out of there i mean i they're obviously dealing with some kind of you wouldn't have you wouldn't have gotten to a hole like that without actually having experienced probably some kind of traumatic event. But mm. it's sort of all very sparsely given throughout the film as to what is the actual full story of the whole thing. So it keeps you deliberately sort of guessing all the way through as to what is what is going on here. I don't want to just I don't want to sort of destroy the 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 fun of discovery by. Do you see what I mean? No, no. Obviously, I mean as someone who's who's not long since watched it. Yes, there's a there's a great deal of discovery to be had from the preposition at the beginning, which is how the hell did two seemingly middle class people? And I should add, it's you, you can't you can say without. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. They're a Scottish couple, and they're, yeah. and they're in a French. They're in a hole in the ground yeah. in a French wood, which makes it all the more absurd 
to a viewer that doesn't know anything at the start, and and it's and and it, and, it, and then it beautifully pieces together information that helps you understand maybe why they're there or why the wife is is seemingly more um, crazy in inverted commas than yeah, the husband yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the premise of being in a hole yeah. is crazy, but you know. But there's there's definitely there's definitely levels of crazy in this film. Um, but um, but yeah, that, I think that doesn't spoil that spoil anything um, for people who who get to see it now. Um, so you wrote and directed this film, and yes, what what for you was the the kernel of the idea that sort of that, that led you to what is Couple in the Hole, or or as it is in is is, is, it, is it savages when it's a, as a French French or Belgian yeah savage yeah yeah uh, well we sort of had to once it had sort of French distribution we had to come up with this title it was like a real nightmare trying to find because because couple dans un trou didn't really quite work for the, the French <laughs> <laughs> so we had. To, <laughs> We had, we, I mean, it's 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 actually sorry. This is not the, the 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 question you wanted, but actually, it's quite an interesting one. When you have to, when you really stuck with the title for a very long time, hmm. and then have to find another title for a project is a is a effing nightmare, basically, because you kind of sort of we spent months kind of musing what could this could this title be for the French film. Anyway, so. Uh, what was the question again? The question was, what what for you what was, was the kernel? Yeah, what was the what kernel? Was the kernel? Yeah, what was where it came from? Well, basically, it comes from. I've I've got these notebooks that I always carry around from since I was like I don't know uh, in in my twenties somewhere, and um, and they're like little notebooks, and I every time I something that I felt I shouldn't forget, I wrote down. Basically, it happens less and less. It was really some obsession I had in the tw- my twenties and thirties. And I, I can't, they're like small little uh, notepads, basically, I carry around. And basically, one of them was image of a um, middle-class couple stuck in a hole uh, with their disheveled clothes on. And it's sort of all about civilization within nature and how quickly civilization can break down. Uh, amidst sort of wildness and all that stuff. And uh, that's kind of, that is that image of this couple, a normal couple you see in your, every time you go to Tesco or Sainsbury's, you see them with that tro- behind that trolley. Mm-hmm. You don't think anything of them, but then now you see, suddenly I saw them in that image, like, okay, they're in this hole surviving. What happened? And that's it. And the whole story came out of that, basically, out of that image. Right. That was the sort of, that was the that was the beginning of of an energy in a way because actually I I kept going back to that image as as a guide as to because there was so, clearly something in that dynamic the contrast between the wildness and their their so called civil civilized appearance mm. was 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 a real thing that I kept going back as I was writing throughout the four years or five years I was writing the script yeah whether that I was still Keeping, um, keeping true to that initial dynamic, the initial thing, the spark that really drew me, drew me to it. Do you mm. see what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so with that, with that central image in mind, so it was a, so was it a constant battle of 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 trying to of, of at first trying to answer the question, how does someone 
end up there that that would have just been in the queue at Tesco's four weeks earlier. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's kind of where it all that's yeah that the energy to to basically then in my own dark hole mm. seeing this couple and then trying to sort of see try to light the the um, the the sort of cave of my writing. <laughs> 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 I'm, go- I'm going with you, Tom. I'm going with you. Keep going. <laughs> as I look through the, so you see, as I saw this image, and then I kind of sort of trying to sort of light what I, what actually is the reality of this story ar- around this image, basically. Mm. That was for me really, that's really exciting. So, and then trying to make it work and make it something that is incredibly moving. But at the same time, also ex- totally believable. Do you see what I mean? And that, mm. the, the credibility was always a massive. Those two factors actually were really important. Is to, is to first of all, the audience has to totally buy it that you will have these two people living mm. in a hole, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then secondly, we have to make a story that because once you see after 10 minutes of, of two people in a hole, you sort of, okay. I got it now. What else? <laughs> um, you kind of have to then create a a, a, um, a story that keeps people going for like an hour and a half. So this whole move, the moving part, and really moving people with very little elements: two people in a hole, a forest, a, a town nearby, other another couple. Mm. Those are the only elements we had. And and I kind of found it really exciting. How can I make something so threadbare but so moving? Do you see what I mean? How can I make it as moving as possible? Absolutely. I mean, the experience as, as someone watching it with those elements to play with, because you've given us some hard clues quite early on, but they don't join the dots up. So you're kind of you're kind of lost as to as to where you're going. But it what that means is it draws you in because you're kind of you're making us pay attention to absolutely everything because we understand enough to find it plausible, but we haven't got the answer why we haven't got the answer to the question why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a way, in a way, I wanted to put the viewer very much in the same position I was in mm. as I was trying to discover the story myself. Do yeah. you see what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of that's what kind of what I like is to put myself in the position of the main characters. And really live it through their perspective. So what they know, you know. Do you see mm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, there is, you do also play with certain information the audience have and they don't have, blah, 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 at certain points. But mostly it's from their perspective. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And um, I find that really exciting. It's thrilling because it's, it's, it's a real sort of a ride of discovery kind of thing and, and, and surprises. So in, in terms of, as you've begun to sort of expand on that idea uh, and begin to understand the situation yourself, what, what, for you were the, what for you were the main sort of story challenges or, or breaks that you got for yourself? I mean, the whole, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, it, I, the thing is, yeah, it's difficult to have the conversation about that without giving too much away. The thing is, the traumatic event. Yeah. Actually, the big traumatic event came yeah. a lot later. Wow. 
Seriously, it was actually in the in the development of it. Yeah, it started off as the couple who were just going through a breakdown, and that was it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. There was even a son, a son from London, <laughs> who because at that point I didn't I didn't know I was going to cast the Scottish couple. That was pure a pure coincidence, basically, because Kate Dickey and Paul Higgins were just the, the fucking best out of the. They were just clearly John and Karen. Mm. They walked into the room and they were perfect. Um, so it had nothing to do with... Um, it, the, what was I talking about? Um, you were trying not to spoil it, but we were talking about what were the big sort of story challenges or discoveries that got you. Yeah, so before it was all... It was like a son. There was even a, a whole storyline of a son who was a failed musician in London who came to look for his parents and all that stuff. And so it was more about that. So the, oh, it was more wow. about that story. So you essentially so would, about, you essentially changed the point of view of the story to be about them yeah, rather than the hunt yeah, for them. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. So, yeah, so it, it's been in many other different places as I, as I was exploring, okay, what's the purest expression of this idea? Mm. There were loads of tangents, basically. So, I mean, but that's... That's the process of storytelling. And I think you kind of learn as you, the more you write and you keep writing, you keep writing one project, another project, another project. I guess you start to learn. I think those tangents become less and less. So that, because that was quite an extreme tangent. So I went from quite a very different script to the script that I actually ended up with. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. But that happens. I mean, that happens still. I mean, I'm just, I'm doing it at the moment about, and, uh, I mean, but, I'm writing many scripts and uh, yeah. at the same time, but it's actually happened with one script where I, I basically just, uh, one, I just decided just to cut half of it, the, the, the second half totally and totally changed it. So, so actually it does really happen. But, but, I, think, but I think it's an important lesson though, because I think, because often we can get so wedded to what we started out to do we can't see the opportunity that actually, if we change the point of view of the story, totally, we have we have a much better story. I know, I know. Work. I mean, you know Ashley Horner, who I've who I've worked with, and we 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 had that was one of our major breakthroughs on a project where we had one person doing this major thing, and then we thought, well, what if? And it was like a father daughter thing, and it was like, well, what if the daughter does it, not the father? And suddenly, you flip the script on its head. And then the rewrite, the rewrite went like a dream, and you're like, "Well, that was the right thing to do all along," but you didn't know it until you tried it. But obviously, there's a lot, as you say, you get wedded on, into ideas and all, and all that stuff, and so there is obviously a resistance from yourself to, and it takes a while to finally accept actually this new way is definitely the better way, mm. and so you have to just ditch all that work you've done, although. Every work you've done for me is always useful because it is always, it just informs you in the, on the world and it makes you, you, you just know the world more. The more you explore, the more you, the better you know it. So the more you can try different things and all that stuff. And so, and then the final thing you commit to, you're sure you, 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 you will be sure in yourself that you really investigated it to see what i mean so that's how i came to this very much simpler mm. storyline 
And now even looking back at the film, I, I, I would even, Jimmy, I would want to simplify it even more. <laughs> Blimey O'Reilly. I mean, it's, that, that's, that's quite, that'd be some feat because it is, I think one of the joys of watching it is, is how understated it is and how we feel like we're, as a viewer, we feel like we're trapped in the woods, which I think is a hell of an achievement yeah, because, yeah. you know, the only the only film where I've, I've I've sort of, in recent years, where I've kind of felt a similar feeling is uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist, you know, where you, you, yeah. you're, with, uh, you're with that couple up in, in, in the shack and stuff. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's um, I mean, that's, I mean, and that's where, you know, and, and I guess where the, the similarity between your film and that, is that there's an there's an element of horror to your drama, you know? It's but but in in your in your film, the horror is is the unspoken because you can see it on Kate Dickey's face, but you don't know why. And uh, yeah, and that that sort of I think that I I definitely thought that propelled me as a viewer uh, watching it. So um, taking it into production, so you're you're London based. You've got a Scottish couple. You're shooting in Wales. It's a uh, it's uh, sorry in in France. No, no, so, not well. so it's in France. Sorry, you're doing it in France. It's a Belgian, UK, um, French, French co-production. Um, was that was was those elements already in the script? No, none of the none of where or the location or anything was actually set in the script. Initially, what I really wanted was. A really, I, I was always in my mind. I always, I mean, no, actually, it started, it's chopped and changed. At first, it was a really, and this is another tangent I had in the script uh, for a long time. It was set in Corsica for a long Okay, nice, <laughs> nice location. Time, and it got, it got entangled with the whole Corsican independence movement. <laughs> 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 like a true, like a true got, writer, you found you found out you found these things out. You've got to put them in. Got to put them in. <laughs> <laughs> you found you found, basically. I found out this whole thing about the Corsican independence movement. There's a whole history there of mm. people disappearing into the mountains there and all. That oh stuff. wow! Okay, and, and and also a whole history of polyphony. Um, is that the word polyphony where they all do the sort of the the singing at different. Um, there's lots of sort of male singing choirs, but um, I don't know if it's called polyphony. I'm I'll take your sure. word for it. I don't, I don't know if it's top of my head. But there's a whole history of that. And so I got into a whole story of Corsica and the independence movement and the singing and where even John learns how to sing like that. Wow. <laughs> and then I started to think, actually, wouldn't it be better if it was a really one of the one of the big forests in Europe, like in Poland or in Ukraine, where you can really disappear. So it's that, that was because I was really obsessed with this whole credibility thing. How can they? How can you really disappear and and sort of remain undiscovered in a in a in a forest in Europe? And then so that that's when Eastern Europe came up and. Um, and then we started looking for funding, and the and the basically the places where we finally got a, a reaction to it was France and uh, and and specifically the Pyrenees, where we basically they they were up for giving us money. Okay. And then so and then you start to think, okay, this is this is the reality. So this is where the money's coming from. So I have to adapt to that. 
And then actually, I'm so glad this, this, so, so, so lots of things, not just your head rewrites the script or mm. experience you have. The reality of making films and the, where the money comes from and the, the decision to make it or not to make the film also rewrites your script. Do you okay. see what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, what, out so of interest we, then, was there a lot of work to do once you decide, once it was decided France was the location? Uh, no, not, not massively, to be honest, okay. not massively. Because, I mean, but it just, it was more about, okay, how can I bring this idea about populated, more populated areas and make that credible? And actually, it worked beautifully. Because, I mean, you go to the Pyrenees and you look and you just, this whole thing about credibility, uh, the problem I had about it, uh. instantly disappeared because you look at those forests, they are vast, they are empty, and they are beautiful. Mm. And and so um, there was absolutely no doubt for me that that, that was going to work. And also what actually made it even more interesting was the fact that next to wildness, there was civilization very close nearby. Do you know what I mean? So... Mm. That's why, in a way, and it made for me the story ten times more interesting because, yeah, you can disappear in a Ukrainian forest, but that's actually, in a way, kind of expected and boring. Uh, and now it's quite, it's quite interesting that it's almost like these people are so close, living wild, so close to civilization. No, that was like that. That definitely was a definite teaser for the audience. Was that? Well, exactly, because it's totally against expectations. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and it's almost like they were, it's like a couple living wild on an Ikea car park or something. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Sort of, it had that dynamic and it became really, for me, it became really interesting. So you've, um, you, 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 you've, you've mentioned Paul Higgins and Kate Dickey. They're our, they're our central couple. Um, and you go into France to shoot the film. Which one of those was it that broke their broke a leg? Was it four or five days? So Paul broke his Paul. leg four or five days before you were due to shoot. No, 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 no. We were shooting for three or four days, and then he broke his leg. Oh the wow! Shoot he broke. And was that literally the hazard of where you were due to the hazards of where you were shooting? It was like doing. Yeah, it. I mean, the thing is, to be honest, he was running in the Pyrenees, like up and down in the forests and stuff, and blah 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 for the days before, and there was nothing. And this was like the flattest piece of land we could find because mm. we were kind of really, okay, we have to be careful here. This was on a, it's a scene where basically he runs, the first time he goes to the village and he runs to get the, he pulls the clothes of the clothesline. Mm. It was that field where he basically did it. And it was a flat, it was a flat meadow kind of thing. And wow. um, it happened. And what, what it was devastating, obviously. I can I mean, imagine, yeah. yeah. So, uh, with that kind of that level of devastation to a project, was you able to continue at all? Were you able to do any work on the film in his absence, or was it? Did that bring it well, all to a halt? Basically, all these things are. They're first, obviously, they're devastating because you work uh, these kind of projects, man. You, they're very difficult to get off the ground, mm. especially especially in a, in a UK market, it's very difficult because it's a very, it's a pretty genre-led market kind mm. of thing. And this, what I'm trying to do is, it, it fights with all the rules. It's, it's, it's mixing loads of genre. Yeah. And it's fighting with the rules deliberately. Um, 
because that's what I like doing and that's the kind of films I like seeing. So it, it, it's devastating and it's because it's, it's, it's tricky to get these things off the ground and it takes years of, of frustration and, 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 and stress and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly after three days, on the, you're finally on the set and you all go, yeah, we're here. And then three days later, you're back on a plane home. Do you see what I mean? Good Lord. But, but actually, looking back on it, and, and no, not looking back on it, there and then when my producer then worked amazing, did an amazing, my producer, Zorana Piggott, uh, she did an amazing job on turning it around for, to, to get the insurance and stuff involved. Because uh, for a lot of the for a lot of the projects, this would be the the, the end of the project. Yeah, yeah, you see yeah. what I mean? Yeah, because course. you'd be stuck in insurance hell. But she turned it around, and we were back in June with a a, a, a double for John because for certain for for Paul Higgins because for certain scenes he couldn't do and all that stuff and mm. so and and extra shooting days and all that stuff and also a totally different looking Pyrenees which actually created a very interesting made it made the look help the look massively because uh there was all this diversity of because we cut already quite a lot. We shot quite a lot, quite a lot of things that we, we were able to use and stuff. And we even cut in one scene things we shot in June and things we shot in March. And they're actually, we were so worried about that, that would that, would that work. But it's, once you're in a scene as a viewer, mm. there are so many things you forget. Just see what I mean? And don't see. If, as long as you draw people into the characters, mm. They can in in one they in one shot they can wear a gorilla suit and and in the other not it, people wouldn't notice it. Do you yeah, see yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's amazing what you can get away with, really. I mean, so it, it has a massive silver lining actually. The accident, in a way, yeah, because it kind of I guess I guess accidentally it lends you it lends you a color palette that that you wouldn't have had if you did you just shot in in the one run you were planned to have. Yeah, and also. Also, massively, I was able to look at what we shot. Ah, yes, I never thought of that. Over yeah. three or four days. And I started to already feel, okay, this is the feel. I have time to think and, and think about the feel of the film. What, how we, Because I cut the sort of uh, the bits together that we already had just to look at it and just to see what, what feel it had. And um, it really helped. You were t- we were talking there about um, about the disruption and then the opportunity that came out of the of the accident. Yeah. But but going back to the cast and you you mentioned before that 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 Paul and Kate were were John and Karen when when you came when you were doing your auditions. But thinking of that time when you first rolling the camera on them and and having spent so much time imagining the characters on the page and then you're seeing their performance. What what do you think Paul and Katie? brought to the characters that you couldn't have imagined even from the audition and, and on the page that just sort of took it to that level where you go, my word, we've got some, we've, we've got, this is added to what, what, what I, I hoped. Okay. I mean, to be honest, casting for me is always the most, it, it's always the most important thing in many ways. Mm. It's where it really starts to come alive for the first time. And it's, and I understand that there's, you have to be open about it. So you have to, so I always go to casting with an 
open mind. Yes, you have your preconceived ideas, of course, and you mm. try to sort of, yeah, you try to sort of see how these people who come to the casting fit within those parameters. But I don't know, I just, I, I, I try to remain as open as possible and to just be open to who claims it mm. more than anything else. And just, there's something quite irrational in a way. I don't think there's any exact, exact science for it. It's, 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 it just, I don't know, there's something about John, I mean, about Paul, basically, that there was a, there was a, I don't know, it's hard to say exactly what it was, but he just... Well, maybe the better way to frame the question, was there anything that he did as John that wasn't yeah, maybe on the page? In the casting, he did the scene where he went for the first time to the house. Yeah. The burnt house. Yeah. And found the piece of clothing. Yeah. And it's the way he folded it up. It was almost what you saw is almost like in the casting. And I just felt there was an amazing emotion in that. It was by, by doing almost nothing, he conjured up so much. Do you see what I mean? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of the film is, is about not, like you said before, it's about the silences. It's about what is not said. Mm. It's a, it, you nailed it in a way. It's, in, whilst whilst the Van, Von Trier film is very much horror, visual horror, mm. this one is very much telling the story of that couple through what is n what is not said, and it's mm. and in a way, possibly in my the back of my mind, that's what I was looking for: people who can just say stuff without saying anything. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Just mm. purely by being and in certain small facial. Ex presence and expre ex expressions. Do you see what I mean? It's mm. it, it was, yeah. It's like a real tightrope for this for people like that to come. They're pretty. It's pretty obvious. Pretty. You just sense it when they when they hit it. Mm. You know, and 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 Paul is someone who who really took ownership of that character, like almost militantly so, which I really respected. Yeah. He really took ownership, which was beautiful to see and fought for the character, Jamin, mm. and added frustratingly sometimes as we were, <laughs> as we were about to shoot and coming up. <laughs> does it, does it be, in a way, in that sense, does it, does it become a bit of a competition as to who knows John better, you yeah, or Paul? Yeah, yeah, we had quite, we had quite a, uh, how shall I say that nicely? We had quite a fierce relationship on the on the shoot. Right. Okay. And and really and sometimes getting into really big discussions and arguments about what how the character would be and stuff. And he, I thought it was that for me made it his character because. Mm. Because there was, yeah, he really took, it, he, I mean, it was amazing to see how, and it was humbling to see for me how someone comes in and takes charge of something you've created, but he created it. I mean, he, he continued the creation. It was beautiful to see. And same, I mean, Kate Dickey is slightly 
different in the way she approached. She's much more asking from me information and stuff. So mm. it's a lot, but it's a big discussion. I mean, what were the conversations on. like? Because I think, I mean, because because John's a much more overt character than Karen is. You know, these he's he's doing a lot. So therefore, there's that these activities that that we can we sense are normal, even though the the, the setup isn't normal. Whereas Karen's character is a lot more caught in the middle of the problem. You know, she's, and there's a lot of, tr and, and, and she plays to the heart of what you described at the beginning, which is this idea of how plausible is it that the couple from Tesco's are stuck in a hole in the woods. And, and obviously she has to go that bit further than, than Paul Higgins' character does. So what were your conversations there about, you know, I guess there's, there's, there's trust and then there's turning up to 11 or turning it down to two, you know, because um, crazy is crazy, but, you know, just being crazy, goggled-eyed for 90 minutes is not entertaining, is it? No. I guess, I guess with, yeah, I guess you're right that, that it's, that in a way, the John character is much more of this world. He's mm. much more within a reality we're all very familiar with. He definitely straddles it. He definitely straddles our world, doesn't he, between the whole and the world. Yeah. Whilst, whilst the Karen character is much more someone who goes clearly through a some kind of breakdown or although they for me they go they're both going through a breakdown but mm. in, in different ways um but yeah it's a, that okay that was much more unknown territory so we there was much more exploration so the discussion were more about trial and error basically there okay because we both didn't know and and there was a, i think also the sort of and particularly for Kate, the diet that we put them on for like four, six weeks or something prior to shooting was really useful to also get her into a sort of... Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply mood and to start to really start thinking uh about what this character might be like and how she behaves and stuff because there were like many discussions about the the the, the way she would crawl in the hole and how she would be physically behaving in this small mm. space and all that stuff and and to not make it as you say crazy all the way through no it had to be totally grounded within that world so the world you accept it as a viewer and that is the was the most important thing you have to if you don't accept it the film falls apart ultimately. yeah 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 what i mean so it had to be like i i always was thinking about these films they took in asylums in 
I think they were in France somewhere. Some filmmaker took films of patients in asylums in France, like black and white silent films yeah. in, the, in the early nine, um, nine, um, uh, 20th century. And they were really, yeah, they, they were, they sort of, for me, they felt, because they, they instant, they're like worlds you instantly accept. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Because they are from an institute who've done the thing. So you, you accept everything for true. And I wanted to have the same effect with this. The way she was behaving had to feel like you just had to, wow. This is like, whoa! This is like I wanted to be. I wanted to. I wanted to be that to be quite confrontational for the viewer. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I wanted yeah. to be feel so real that it's confrontational. It, and it, so it took. It took a while of it. So if we going back to the question of what were the discussions like mm. with Kate, it was a lot more about okay, let's see where this goes and let's try lots of different things. Do you see what I mean? So. Yeah. A lot with her was about just the physicality of the whole thing, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess the, the highest compliment is that, in a sense, you get you achieve sort of uh, the like like what we get in Repulsion, where you've got this this idea of the strength of conviction as to what's troubling you, but also the vulnerability, so that we as the audience yeah. aren't pushed away. You know, it's sort yeah. of the two that you know something bad is happening and they're not in control of everything. But you also know they're grasping for control, and that's what makes us sympathise or empathise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Now you mentioned the the the, the location and how wonderful it, it it looked and how how fitting it was to your story. But having so much on on offer in the Pyrenees can can arguably, from a visual point of view and an aesthetic point of view, can be can be you know too much choice is uh, it. Is, is is not always a good thing. So what were your conversations like with Sam Kerr about the, the look and feel of Couple in the Hole? I mean, it's true that basically you got a 360 degree, uh, 360 degrees of choice, basically, because mm. everywhere you put your camera, it's fucking beautiful. Mm. And, um, and it's, it's, there's something there. So, I don't know that when actually the thing is also uh, the schedule <laughs> makes you decisive. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you have to decide very quickly. Yeah. And so there's conversations where Sam was really good at seeing, Sam was very good at kind of creating the shots ultimately yeah. with me. But he was very good at like, okay, this is the good one. This, do you know what I mean? So there was a really good, quick discussions because of the schedule. But I mean, I sort of always had in mind the way I see it. And then we compared it to the way he saw it. And then we sort of, yeah, we sort of aligned most of the time. And mm. it was it had to be done quickly. So we had we clearly came to decisions pretty quickly because it had to be done quickly. It was a crazy schedule. So, because um, I, I, I mean, from a, a very basic observation from me is that you kind of you kind of go very micro when we're around the hole, and it's very macro when we're you know there's a lot you, you, it's a lot everything seemed a lot more open and you could breathe 
when when you weren't at the hole, as it were. Is that does that would that be a fair? Yeah, assumption? of course. That was all. That, I mean, purely pragmatically, that that was. Be, we also had no choice in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you want that too for you wanted to feel claustrophobic mm. you wanted to feel uh well at times i guess i wanted the whole i wanted in the beginning i wanted it to be this this world to be almost like idyllic i wanted to make the the viewer feel at the start actually wow if they they might have hit the bing the, the jackpot here in terms of like this is a really good way of living. Just they seem pretty happy there and blah blah blah. And yeah, the hole seems pretty comfortable and they've got a nice little fire and they they got fresh fresh mushrooms and blah 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 and, and the rabbit from time to time and stuff. Wow, this is not a bad way to live. And then I wanted to make the hole more and more claustrophobic because I think the hole is not always. I think sometimes there are shots where it feels really relaxing, like the shots where there's this shot where she's she's mending uh, mending her quilt basically, and she's just doing it in such peacefulness and stuff. It feels like a really peaceful place at times. So I think it goes from this idyllic thing to like something that's really cold. But but even but even outside, even when you're outside of the hole. You still feel like the forest is on top of you, but then when you're away from the forest, mm. you. So I mean, not just in the hole, but in and around the hole, it was clearly self. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was clearly a self-contained world where the world you couldn't yeah. see out, but but you yeah. could see in. So you didn't know who was watching. You know that was that was a key thing, and that's a a, yeah. a general trope with woods, isn't it? And stuff. Whereas yeah. once once is once John's gone for a, a cup of coffee at the farm. You're looking out at the mountains, you know. You kind of suddenly you, the 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 idea of there's being a, hemmed yeah, in. More. Yeah, there's that, a whole world out there. Yeah, right? you're not hemmed in like you are when you're around the hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. I guess these things often they, I think subconsciously they sort of feed into the discussions and that's kind of and the decision making, but mm. they're not necessarily. I want to. I mean, a lot of these things don't get necessarily planned. They just happen because okay. they are just logical things in terms of storytelling. And so, I think they're probably in the because particularly about that, it was not. There weren't specific conversations about like, I mean, the whole philosophy around part one versus part three, or blah blah. Just see what I mean. There yeah. weren't. There were discussions about it, but not like. Into technical detail. You weren't. You weren't, I mean? you weren't designing it. You were. You were kind of. Feeling no, it, it just happened. Mm. I think it just happened, and I think because okay. it felt. I guess it was part of the the makeup of, of of the It was part of the, the conversations. It was always that played a part, and that just filtered through. Mm. It's a good question ultimately because some, you can't plan everything. Things just happen, and then sorry. One thing about the Pyrenees about this. The, it's also the, you can't plan anything, and the, and and again, like the cast or where we shot, rewrote the script. The cast rewrote the script because I didn't know it was going to be a Scottish couple. But also, the way the weather changes in the Pyrenees is like you can have four seasons in one hour. Do you know what I mean? And oh, really? 
yeah, and it basically changes. So I, I remember in the village when we were shooting all the village stuff, it was one one day it was like one time it was like sun, and then it was like snowing, and then it was like a hailstorm. So it's like you go from and you just think in your head, how the fuck am I gonna cut all this shit together? <laughs> well, that that's a lovely that's, I was gonna say it's a lovely segue for me then. So when you are cutting it together. And you've, we've talked to, we talked how the how the story was found and, and and the discoveries you made along the way, then your your how how working with the cast shaped it, then then the constraints of the production and what you you were able to shoot, uh, the limitations therein. But what did you discover about coupling the hole in the edit? What new things came to light that you wouldn't have known before you'd shot it? Well, that's a really good question. I have to think a bit about that. I think we used most of the we used most of the stuff we shot most of the material of the different scenes that were written mm. were are actually in the film. There's very few that we even if it was just like a shot or 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 a little sequence out of the scenes maybe not didn't use certain scenes mm. to to the fullest degree but I think uh, I think most, I th- I, it does, I did, it's true that basically when we were cutting it, it sort of started to live up to the expectations that I had in my head. So what was formed in my head, because in a way, maybe it's to do with the fact that when I'm shooting, and I'm sure that's true for every director, you are cutting constantly. So I'm cutting constantly on the shoot, that's the main thing I'm, I'm, I'm doing. When I'm, I have a moment to myself, I'm trying to cut. Okay, how does that? I'm trying to constantly find reassurance mm. in my head. That's going to cut with that. That's going to cut with that. Blah, 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 blah. So I'm constantly working on putting the story together. Mm. So you are, I think the cut starts, yes, the editor starts cutting whilst we're shooting and mm. all that stuff, but I'm cutting all the time in my head. So I don't know, there weren't that many surprises in that respect, actually. So But did you did you have to I mean given given how you tease out the story and the reveal without without too without with very little exposition, was there any moving around of any pieces? Yeah, then? of course there was, for sure. Because that you can never predict. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And so ultimately the script is just a collection of scenes to shoot, and then you're just trying to make a film with it. Do you see what I mean? You can't ever look at it as the script is going to be my film. No fucking way. Do you see what I mean? The yeah, script yeah, yeah, is yeah. purely, this is, okay, this is all the stuff you're going to need to, now you go to work on the actual, mm. putting it into reality. This is the stuff you have to do the work with. So that's your work plan. But that's all it is. Can you give it, Can you give an example of, of of a scene that was either later and then brought earlier, or that was earlier oh, man, and moved that's... later? Yeah, there was a whole sequence I remember with with Alain, um, who's my Belgian editor. Yeah. Um, there was a whole sequence where, and it was somewhere around the middle bit where the whole thing about him is his relationship 
the way his relationship with um, Andre developed. It was that whole sequence where he started to betray betray his wife mm. <laughs> with a friend. Um, uh, his wife to go and hang out with with uh, the farmer, basically. Mm. That sequence, the way we got there, we moved quite a bit around there. The way he was more and more sort of enticed, that 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 had to be sort of fine tuned and had to sort of change scenes. I think there was something. If something comes to mind about the scene with the yellow bag, so at one point the farmer was sort of drawing him into his world more mm. and more. By, and at one point he left a yellow bag full of food hanging off a tree. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that scene going, changing places. Uh, and and, and a, a lot of the sequence of those scenes, the way... And then we left some scenes out as well because there was... We shot another scene uh, with in the farmer's house that we actually never used. Mm. Um, so... That there was definitely a lot of movement in that middle bit, and I think the middle bit is often like that because it's sort of it's the roof of the arc, mm. and you want to make the roof strong. Do you see what I mean? And often in the roof, it's where the uh, it starts to wobble a bit. So uh, you want to make you you want to make sure you have a strong roof, basically. Mm. Otherwise, it all collapses. So um, I guess that's where movement happens. But I mean. It's not really like yeah that and that and that and that. So because it's quite a long time ago. No, but the, but the fine, but the fine tune, the idea of fine tuning is is good for people listening to understand. Is that your script is giving you the blueprint of what will hopefully be the film. Your edit is what brings that together to be a film, isn't it? Is what you're saying? Totally. Interestingly, for me, I came to your soundtrack, the score for the film, long before I saw the film. I was listening to Jeff Barrow's. Score of the film. like it just it's one it's been one of the I when mean did you, can I ask out of interest when did you start listening to the score I, I'm gonna say I mean because I, I got it when did um when did Beak tour when when did Beak last tour so I was listening to Beak and I was and I constantly am looking for music to listen to while I'm writing and I don't want songs with singing in it and Beak was has obviously got a bit of singing in it yeah it's perfect. Yeah, but but then I was like, I, I just looked through Jeff's other stuff, and found the the Scorsese film. I don't, I can't, I can't tell you why I didn't make the next leap and just go watch the film. But I mean, I I, I watched, I listened to Only God Forgives for about a year before I watched the film, um, which is a weird way. But for both 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 scores in a in a way are Only God Forgives and, and Cup and Hole are very present, and I think one of the things that makes your film sort of I guess, um, like you described before, where you you are slipping between the lines of what genre and drama are, might be, is the very prominence that you give to the music and the style of the music is playing with me for sure, because uh, uh, because it, it's musical as well as atmospheric. It's not just you know, and there's there's obviously that with Jeff, you've got that kind of the motoric beat, the kind of kraut rock influences and stuff are there anyway. Yeah. So there's a kind of there's a there's a kind of energy an energy to that that's that, that's yeah. particular to him. But what were your conversations like with Jeff about what music you wanted, and then how did that how did you make that work? How, how did that end up working for the film? Because for me, 
it 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 it, it sort of the, the the two walk hand in hand. It sort of it lends your film the kind of cherry on the cake in a way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I mean, it's obvious. It is. It is also a, a thing that has divided people because I think I can imagine. I think that to, the music, to a certain extent, is fairly for more, maybe more main. I don't know. For I don't. I don't want to judge it, but I mean, it's for certain crowds. It's too. It's too. It's it's it. It feels like an alien. And for some, it, it's like you either love it or you. But you push it to no, the no, fore. But, 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 but you push it to the fore, like Wine and Refn does in Only Hugo Forgives. You you make the music part of the film. You don't you don't just soundtrack. You don't just soundtrack the action. You you make us understand the music's part of what's going on, or or at least the music's trying to communicate another part of what's going on. Yeah, I mean the thing is, I always want that. I always look. I just don't like soundtracks. I don't like sound. I don't like. I don't like it when composers come. Okay, they put their they put their soundtrack hat on, because it just. <laughs> I don't want. I don't. I don't. I want the purity of expression. Mm. I don't want them. Okay, this is a soundtrack, so I need to behave like this. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. No, because it instantly starts the smell of any other soundtrack, and yeah. so instantly loses its individual power that first attracted you to that composer ultimately right. so the way it came up so that's and, and so and i want music for me music is extremely important i i i have playlists for every i mean i'm sure lots of directors do but i mean i have for me i have playlists for every film when i'm writing i have playlists of songs mm. And, and when I'm, I listen to music a lot, I've always have done, and music is very important in terms of. It, sometimes it can generate writing, so it can it can really bring up moods that help uh, creative sort of processes where you suddenly see a whole scene because you listen to a certain piece of music because it puts you in a certain mood, and then. Elements come together and suddenly, bang! The whole scene is there. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Music is music is key in many ways, and it's music that plays a part, and not music that supports. Uh, so that's where I come from with sort of music, and the way it came about with Jeff was, I was going to, I was going to use. Uh, it music at some point. I never thought of of. I sort of already had some kind of clear ideas of what I was going to do. But then, a, a publisher, whom I had done a commercial with, yeah, a publisher of music, also said they had uh, Beak on their books, and uh, I didn't know about Beak, and I didn't know Jeff had a had another band and all that stuff apart from Portishead. So, okay, um, okay. And then, but this is like 2013 or something, 2012. And um, and I and she said, okay, I'll, I'll li listen to it anyway. Listen to it. I know you got ideas about who you want to or, or what you where direction you want to go into, but listen to it anyway. And I started listening to it and to their whole back catalogue, and it basically just made sense. It was just suddenly. Oh, really? Just, 
yeah, it it kind of sort of this this the contrast of this kind of crowd rocky um, instrumental stuff and quite sort of anarchic. It's quite anarchic kind of music. I find it's sort of it's going. It's using a lot of sounds that don't don't go together. Mm, it's sort of, mm. No, sort it's of music that fights. Do you know what I mean, it's sort of the way he plays his is the jazzy way he plays the absolutely. drums and all that. Absolutely, stuff. yeah. All the elements fight, but they somehow work together. It's beautiful. Mm. And for me, it, it was such a nice, and that's what I like doing with my filmmaking. I like in the cutting to put scenes that fight next to one another. Um, I, I like doing it with the, 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 the in the storytelling itself. Do you know I mean the way it sort of goes from that to then the, the stuff that, constantly wrong foot people and I found the music was doing kind of the same thing it's wrong footing mm. it adds another wrong footing dynamic in the whole mixture somehow because it's sort of you're in nature beautiful nature you you expect sort of a classical score kind of thing no let's have crowd rock do you know what I mean sort of like really mm. uh, German under, underground kind of basement kind of <laughs> Music and um, yeah, it, I'm, and I was I was delirious when I. The more I listened to all that tracks, the more I got like, "Fuck, this is so brilliant!" And blah blah blah. And I listened to it obsessively, obsessively, whilst I was doing all the rewrites of the scripts, and I almost placed all the songs. Well, I, I had four or five songs that I already had a very strong place for, basically. Okay. And I just you, took 80% of that soundtrack is basically songs that I picked from their back catalogue. So they, okay, they weren't okay. original. Royal. There was, there's only about three or, I don't know, it might be wrong, but the, the, the minority is basically stuff that they did for the film, basically. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't really imagine. And so the conversations with Jeff were really easy. I mean, it was probably one of the easiest relationships and collaborations on the film. He was very, he understood it and blah, 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 and this and that. And it was very smooth. Well, look, we've been talking for nearly an hour now. And I, oh, think, wow. I think we can, just for the last five minutes, I think we can, we can introduce a little bit of spoilers so people can be prepared who are listening to this that haven't seen the film. Certainly, certainly one question I want to ask about um, while I've got you on the podcast. So for those that haven't seen the film, now now switch off the podcast and come back when you have. And for those that have, stay with us. And and this question is, is becomes more loaded now. I know how you wrote the script, or now I know some of the elements of how you brought the script together, because my question is related to the finished film and um and how how I read it, you know, in in the in the sort of in the final act. Because uh, you, because once you get that, once you understand what's going on between the couple, why they're there, you know, like you, like you described with uh, John's casting with the folding of the jumper, the significance of that, you know, the idea of a, of parents losing a child, but because the film focuses so is is so much of a focus on personal grief, is is how much did you did you know about the idea of the whole being a metaphor for grief? going into it and how much was that evident how much more of that was evident after the film was sort of there to watch 
because it is it, it it didn't it was only after I mean it was after the fact that I started to think of this that the whole itself you could you could read this film as being like you it's interesting because you talk about plausibility and wanting us to believe a couple in, from Tesco's are lived in a hole in the ground but equally you you could argue that what you've done is made a film which illustrates grief <laughs> in in, yeah, in, in in an absurd way you know in yeah. some senses because yeah you've got the plausibility but actually it's something that keep, you know the way certainly like scenes where Katie's like either running back into the hole or dragged back into the hole. It's like almost like that's what grief does to people. There's things that you think you're over something, and then the next thing you know, you're back at square one. And I, and I felt like you got a lot of that across without saying, "Oh, I feel sad because somebody died." I mean, obviously, there's the expression "to be in a hole" kind of thing. Jimmy, you know I mean, I'm in a real hole at the moment, kind of thing. But and, and that that was always yeah okay the couple being in trouble kind of thing so that whole on that level those thoughts were fleetingly there but um, no it's true that I mean it, it it's true that the whole thing about the grief and the way actually it's almost like the perfect illustration of grief. Mm. Because people, lots of people have commented on that in the Q and A's and stuff that they they really in, they really enjoyed this portrayal of grief in a way, mm. um, the understated nature of it, at the same time as being in your face, <laughs> in your face actually. Mm. If you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it was never. Again, again, I think. No, it was never really sort of front of mind, Jamin, you know I mean? to sort of like, okay, I'm going to make a metaphor about grief. No. It's just about how does it, it... For me, the energy kept with the original image, which was basically how does a fucking Tesco couple end <laughs> up in a hole and how do we make this credible? Wow, okay. <laughs> you see what I mean? No, so, totally, yeah. No, no, I can understand it, yeah. I suppose, I suppose in a way, I suppose in a way that you you don't want to dictate an audience's reaction in a sense, and you're quite happy to receive no. receive that feedback, yeah. but you could never you could never orchestrate it, could you? In a way, you could. No, of course not, of course not. And so, basically, the best you can do is, okay, how does a grieving couple act? Yes, and what is it like to lose a son mm. uh, before your own death? Do you know what I mean, it's ever child die before yourself so and, it, and it's and it's I mean, interesting what, what does that do to you sorry i was going to say because it's interesting because when i when i brought i mean I, I didn't i didn't dwell on it but when i brought up antichrist obviously the big difference story-wise is that lars von trier gives you the grieving subject in the opening sequence so you know yeah. that everything that follows is a process yeah. of grief yeah. whereas you give us the weeks or months later why are these people in the woods question as opposed to, because if you'd have started Antichrist on a, on a, on a shack on a hill, you'd have had the same dynamic, wouldn't you? But it, 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 it... Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, for me it's, I mean, I like the horror more, because I mean, he wanted to definitely make a much more outright... Yes, you know, he was making a horror film. Horror film. I wanted to make make a much more human hum, humanistic do it much more on a human level through being with those people almost like 
David Attenborough hangs out with gorillas mm. and get to know them. He observes them and tries to find out that way. Oh, that's what they do when they are hungry or when they want to play. They rub their belly or whatever. I don't know. And he's observing. And so I wanted the audience to just sit with them and 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 just smell what what was going on with these people. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was the approach. So it's a much more... In that respect, it's a very different film to Antichrist. Do you see? What oh, I very mean? much so. Very yeah, yeah, yeah. Different. And um, although it's the same world ultimately, and it's it's very different. I think it's. Fun. I, th- I hadn't thought about this till talking to you, but it's like it's interesting how much just putting people in nature, like you do, and clearly having looking at them, they've lived in nature, so they're not just they've not just gone for a, a hike. Is how disarming that is for us. As you know, I'm yeah. I'm sort I'm sat in my clean clothes. I've just had a shower, you know. So if I'm doing that when I watch a film, it's like you're you're thinking of all these things, these really mundane yeah. things that you yeah. know they're not able to do, and yeah. they're clearly not doing. Which is yeah. all. Which doesn't even. There's not even being said, but it's kind of part of your enjoyment is unpick, is unpicking the idea of leaving the queue at Tesco's and going to a hot. Tesco's are going to sue us on this. Don't and that's that's how a film sticks in. I mean, I I kind of. I, films that ask questions like that is incredibly powerful. I think mm. it's it's the kind of films I want to watch. Do you know what I mean it's like you really leave you 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 treat the viewer as an intelligent human being who is reacting to a very humane uh, uh, portrayal of a, 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 a um, scene, mm. enactment of something. And you just see what happens and let, it's the questions, it's the engagement of, of the viewer. And it's in the, really in the viewer's head that the film comes to reality, not, not on the screen. Do you see what I mean? It's everybody has their own, has their own take on it. Everybody has their own. It's because it's, yeah, it works on a very emotional level. I think, do you mean sort of, um, it's your own engagement, personal engagement with what's happened, what's happening in front of you. Well, look, I can only say congratulations for making an absolutely wonderful film, and I'm glad I caught it, even though it was a long time, a few years after it was released. And pe- Don't worry, that's how it happens, man. Indeed. So, and, just to, and just to let people know, if you are listening and haven't seen the film, then uh, it is available in the UK on Prime, easy enough. And it just gives me to say, Tom, thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. It was, uh, I love... It was a very nice chat, and um, yeah, I love talking about films. So, um, anytime you want to talk about film, I'm here.
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.